Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in First Thessalonians chapter four, and um, previous two chapters have been shorter, uh, not just in in length but also in in content. Been pretty straightforward. Paul longs to be with them and um, reports what Timothy had had reported to him. In chapter four, he's he's going to deal with with two big issues, um, and they are related, um, but uh, they're often taken separately, and that, that that's fine. One is holiness, which he hinted at the end of chapter three. The other is living in light of the return of Christ, which again, he hinted at at the end of chapter 3. So let's start with um, verse 1 here. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Um, again, we, we, we saw this when he talked about love in chapter 3, that um, the goal is to continue to progressively grow in the faith. A lot of people think that when you come to Jesus, right, all your problems are resolved, uh, that your prayer life magically becomes perfect and you're, you're devouring your Bible and, 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 and you're doing all this sort of stuff. That's it's not really the way it works. Uh, the goal is is that uh, you can look back at your Christian walk and, and say, as John Newton did, uh, I may not be what I could have been. I may not be what I should be. I may not be what I ought to be, but praise the Lord, I'm, I'm not what I once was. And that is, that is an honest prayer that hopefully we, 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 we can pray about. Can you look back and say, you know, I've, I've, I'm still trying to figure some of this sort of stuff out. Um, I'm still weak here and there, um, but I can say that, that I love Jesus now more than I did last year, 10 years ago, yesterday. And, and that um, I'm, I'm seeking to be more like Jesus now. Um, and in growing in my faith and holiness than, than, than a few years ago. Um, and sometimes it is two steps back, but what we want is three steps forward. And, and that, that's, that's the struggle, the Christian struggle. Too often, uh, particularly in, in church circles, we give the illusion that it's just, man, life just gets easier and easier. And that's, that's, that's not the case at all. And so Paul here has encouraged him, I've heard of your faith, your love, and your prayer. I want you to increase all the more. More and more, he says there. Verse 2, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus? For this is the will of God. Ah, there it is. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I, I need to know what God's will is for me. Well, here it is. Your sanctification. Yeah, but I, I want to know, should I take this job? Okay. Your sanctification is the will of God. I want to know if we should have another child. Here it is. Your sanctification. I'm trying to figure out what school to, to go to. How it is I'm going to pay for school. Or, or if, if, if I should marry this person or date this person or this or that. Here, here's the answer. Your sanctification. Here's the thing. Chances are that if you're asking the question, is this the will of God? You never thought to ask yourself, will this contribute to my sanctification? We rarely think about that, do we? So, before we can e even talk about that sort of stuff, uh, and there's good resources, uh, Kevin Young's got a good book on it, John McGregor's got a good book on it, but here, here it is, your sanctification is the will of God. You becoming more like Jesus is the will of God. Everything else is details. No matter what job you take, no matter what school you go to, frankly, no matter who you marry within a certain reason, your sanctification should uh, uh, result, uh, lead to that and result from it. So if you're trying to marry someone and they're a lost heathen, no, don't. Why? Because of your sanctification. If what motivates you for that job is wealth and money, influence, income, all that sort of stuff, maybe not. 
If your motivation is wrong, why? Because motivation has to do with sanctification. Right? Here is the will of God. Your sanctification. He goes on, that you abstain from sexual immorality, uh, and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his... Well, I don't want to pause there. You'll see there, he, the, the broad idea is sanctification. And then from that comes a, a uh, more laid out in, in specific examples. The first has to do with impurity. And, and there's some debate as to exactly um, um, what Paul is referencing here. Um, and the ESV cleans it up. And I think ESV is probably making the right, right, right decision there. But, but the broad idea is, is, is purity. So sanctification leads to purity. And, and uh, every commentary in Bible study or study Bible and all that sort of stuff will show that the Thessalonica, uh, as most major cities did, uh, they had their uh, cult worship and their pagan worship that often involved um, temples of prostitution and other stuff. And, and just in general, the, the Roman world was, was very sexualized, much like ours. Um, and uh, uh, sex has become political, political has become entertainment, entertainment has, has been sexualized. Um, and so Paul's saying, look, you must be different, and you must be different. Uh, the world can, can go the direction it is, but you must be different, your sanctification. Um, verse 5, uh, or, or they go verse 6, no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner. Um, uh, matter so so you don't you don't sin against others, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember your sanctification and their sanctification is important. Often we don't think of that. So what we say is I'm going to do whatever it is I want because it doesn't rob me of my conscience. What what, what you're forgetting is the sanctification of your brother and sister in Christ. So yes, modesty is important here. Yes, the words we choose to use are important here. Yes, the things we say and the thoughts we have and all of this, we've got to ask ourselves, is it contributing to my sanctification? If not, change it. And is it, will it contribute to the sanctification of others? And if not, change it. Stop living for yourself. And whenever we say, well, they just going to have to get over it, we're revealing how much more like the world we are than we are like Christ. Which means we need to read again, God's will for you is, is, is your sanctification. Verse 7, um, God has not called us to impurity, but the holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God has called you to purity, not impurity. Uh, he goes on in verses 9 to 12 to talk about uh, loving others. Remember, faith love and prayer to grow and more and more. So so he says, look, you don't need me to remind you of brotherly love. You, you, you've heard this from God himself that you ought to love one another. Uh, this is very Johannine, isn't it? Well, it's because it's very Christian. This is Jesus uh, saying this. This is John saying this. Paul saying this. Uh, he says the same thing in Romans, I think it's chapter 13, uh, maybe 14, uh, that, that the ethic of love is central to Christianity. Now, every time I say that, I feel like I have to explain Love is defined by the cross, not by the way the world defines it, uh, by gooey feelings inside or simple kindness or um, I don't want to judge guys, right? That, that's not love. Rather, it is defined by the cross. We love one another. It is service, not mere infatuation. He goes on uh, there, 
second half verse 10 we urge you brothers to do this more and more same language your sanctification grow more and more your love grow more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one what if we took this to heart what if your facebook feed was more about hard work and loving family and less about what you think about who may or may not want the presidency what if we were known by our love and hard work our love and our labor and our families and our sanctification what if what if that's what the world knew about us i'm afraid it's not what the world knows about us so paul's exhortation here is very much to the american christian isn't it aspire to live quietly not in conflict, not in drama, but to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, work with your hands, and to walk properly before outsiders. Man, we've, we 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 got to learn that, don't we? Well, to the disappointment, I'm sure, of, of, of many who've been following along, we're not going to spend a lot of time with verses 13 to 18, the end chapter. Um, because I just don't want to have that fight, frankly. And these devotions are, uh, we'll deal with theological issues as they come, but but I don't want to deal with divisive theological issues uh, if, if it can be avoided. Uh, so what you have here is, for dispensationalists, the classic rapture passage. Uh, and this is the passage, there are others, 1 Corinthians 15 being another, Jesus in the Olivet Discourse where uh, uh, two men are walking up a hill, one disappears and one is left standing still, the Larry Norman song. Um, um, so, so you, you get these passages are used. Some point to Revelation 3 where John is called up to, to vision. I think we're kind of, that's like a terrible uh, one to, to use. But uh, this is the passage when it comes to articulating the rapture. Um, now, here, when it comes to theology, look, the proper interpretation of the text shapes the theology. With that said, there are other things to, to consider. For example, um, hardly anyone was making the argument for the rapture until... 18th, 19th century, um, particularly with the Swiss Brethren and the uh, John Darby and the Schofield Bible and all that sort of stuff. And so it, it, may, it would be helpful for those who don't hold a dispensationalism to listen to the arguments here, and those who do hold a dispensationalism uh, and the rapture and all that, to listen to how this passage was interpreted prior to 18th century, something like that. Um, but my point is not to explore the question of the rapture or the exact timing of the end times or any of that sort of stuff. Other people are more qualified than me to, to do that. But um, I want you to notice why this passage is here. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Uh, sleep is a metaphor that Paul likes. First uh, Corinthians 15 is a great example of this, uh, to, to describe death. And in the Christian sense, death is not final. Death is a door, really, to everlasting life. Um, and so uh, the, the question that, that he deals with in 1 Corinthians 15, he hints at here is, what happens to people when they die? And, and, and namely, what happens to those who die prior to the return of Christ? Uh, Christians have always lived in uh, hoping for the imminent return of Christ, including the apostles. That doesn't undermine their, their authority or anything like that. It means that they, as we are, I mean, I was hoping Jesus would come back before the 2020 election. I don't know about y'all. And I'm, I'm hoping he comes back before the end of the year. Because um, I don't want 2021 to be like 2020, honestly. Uh, but with that, 
um, there's the question of what happens to those who die before Christ returns. And Paul deals with this here. He talks about the resurrection. Now, some see this as rapture. Some see it as as the final resurrection. I'm I'm not going to get into that. So not only does he answer a theological issue, which means the point is to, verse 18, encourage one another with these words. So if we take this passage and we only make it about end-time charts, we've missed the point of the passage. And that's our concern with these devotions. The point is is that you may be encouraged that... The day will come when there will be no more 2020s, no more diseases, no more flus, no more elections, no more chaos in the streets, no more racism, no more. Christ will reign supreme. Death and Hades and sin and Satan will be forever in the lake of fire. So he wants to encourage them theologically, encourage them practically. Theologically is that death is not the end of the believer. Also, remember that in your suffering, even if your suffering comes to death, be encouraged. Christ will rule with justice, and all of this injustice will be dealt with. The return of Christ is, is, is a theology, and it is practical. Let us not forget that. Well, hopefully I'm not in too much trouble after that. Lord willing, we'll see you guys here Monday. We'll finish out the book, look at chapter 5.